<laughs> hello and welcome. No, it is a little surprise. Hello and welcome back to the Scooter Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. Uh, folks, Oklahoma won a damn game. Let's let's give it up for them. The three-game losing streak is dead. The Sooners take out the Kansas Jayhawks, the 19th-ranked Kansas Jayhawks. Well, not anymore. Uh, 52 to 42. It was a great. It was a really good game in some aspects. Maybe not a perfect game, but we'll talk about that here today. Uh, so with me today, as always, we got Jameson, we got Ty. My headphones are doing a very weird thing. If you're watching on video, I will get that sorted out. But uh, Jameson, I'll let you kick this thing off. On a scale of one to ten, how big of a win was this for you? What's what's so funny? Oh my god, I'm laughing at his little headphone mustache that it has below him. It's like right below his chin. It's all they're all dang like you know tangled up together, so it looks like a little headphone mustache. Okay, here's my thing on this game. Yes, it was very, very pivotal that we won this game. Things could have gone very poorly. For that, it deserves a very high grade. But, you know, there's still a lot to improve. But I'll give this like an 8 because I saw some tangible things on the offense and the defense. I know and the defense, even though we gave up, what, 42 points um, that show that there is some optimism that we can scrounge some things together because – like I said, the past two games, I didn't have many I could take positive from those. Fair enough. No, I I, I agree. I think that I, I would agree that the, the defensive performances against TCU, Texas, um, and to a lesser extent, uh, you know, Kansas State, there were there were none. The cupboard were the cupboard was bare. It was pitiful. This was just kind of all right. It was it was good. And and, and compared to those, very, very good. Um Ty, what's your ranking on it? What, what's your grade from I, 1 to 10? I got to go. If it's a grade 1 through 10, out of 10, obviously if 10 is where it maxes out, that's how it works when you're doing a scale like that. I got to go with a 10 because it's about the consequences. It, it doesn't necessarily matter, in my opinion, because of where we, where we are and where we were, uh, how we did it. What matters is that we did it. And it didn't look like a fluke. We did it and it looked like it was supposed to happen. And to me, that is tremendously important because me personally, I was able to immediately go and and clap back at some Texas fans and hit them up and say, you know what? Forget what happened this year. OU, no matter how bad we get, we'll never lose to Kansas bad. And that really hit a chord with the Texas fans. So I give you all the listeners and viewers permission to to plagiarize that one, that one is public domain for you now. So, but had we lost, uh, it would have been bad. It, it would have been bad, bad. You would have heard all sorts of ridiculous statements from the fan bases and and from all sorts of people about our coaches, about our players and everything else. And I think somewhere right in the middle of that sort of binary solution that I presented, there's also the situation where we win, but it looks like it wasn't supposed to happen. We win and maybe it was some magic, some trickery. That is not what occurred. So I have to give it a 10 out of 10. We're about to pick it apart and criticize, Mm -hmm. but I got to give it 10 out of 10 because of the consequences of what would have happened had it not turned out the way that it did and look the way that it did when it turned out. Ted Roof would have been fired or something. He would have been, he would have been the scapegoat. And, and I heard that there was like rumblings of that beforehand because (laughs) someone needed to take the consequences if we lost this game and he had been lined up as the perfect scapegoat. If we would have lost, um, no one really knows him or Brent Venables calling the defense. So why not say it's Ted Roof, not Brent Venables, not the guy that's been recruiting and getting all these great guys to believe in him. (laughs) It's all Ted Roof. Yeah. No, 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 that way. I was just real quick. When you put it that way, I'd like to change my answer to zero out of ten. Uh, I think this hurts us in the long run. Uh, if the if it was going to be lose to Kansas and fire Ted Roof, then maybe maybe I would have picked the lose to Kansas. I don't know. You know, if we're going to continue to be bad, he'll be gone. Sacrifices for for long term yeah. gains. So yeah, I I don't think there's any way that Ted Roof is a long term solution. He is like a like one to two years, maybe three, if we are unlucky. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into that later. I wanted, I'll, I'll split the difference and go with a nine out of 10 because I feel like, even though, like, like situationally, that was a must have game. The culture, the locker room, all of that could have just completely plummeted if we lost four straight, lose to Kansas at home. That puts the bowl in jeopardy. That 
puts a lot in um that puts a season just totally in in, in a, a shipwreck but you know they they responded they showed up they got a decisive win i think and you know we were kind of talking in the group text about it earlier i think the box score kind of indicates it even being a little bit closer than it actually was um but um no i i think i thought it was a good solid win this kansas team is very very good i i, I think you know what they've done has not been a fluke Jason Bean obviously could not put up the same production as Daniels, but um, overall, I thought OU played very good. That was the game. That was the best game so far this season, uh, I would say. So uh, OU more ranked, uh, more ranked wins right now than uh, USC. Fun little factoid. I, someone, someone dug that up. I think might have been Blinken Riley, but uh, it is true. It is true. So, anyways, let's dive into the dissection of this game. We uh, should we start with offense or defense, Jameson? We always start with the defense because it seems like that we always have something to get off our chest about them. And it's been going like that for a couple of years now. And it seems like we're in the defense of old. It felt like one of those old Lincoln Riley, Mike Stoops games. What did Garrett say in our group chat? It felt like it was a mixture of Stoops and Grinch defense. And he called it a stench. Like I thought that was absolutely <laughs> beautiful of a term. It legitimately felt like we were back there. Our offense was clicking. Um, but our defense seems like they could only make a couple stops here and there to get our um, things moving on. Linebackers looked atrocious, absolutely atrocious. Thank goodness we moved to a four-man front because that three-man front that we pe- played the past two weeks, whew, it was not working. Yeah, no, the four-man front slip was the best part for sure. But no, there were plenty of times where, you know, Kansas would get us completely caught on, you know, this, that the second and third levels. Guys completely wide open. Um, and you know, that that's partially due to lack of pressure because you can't, you can't expect our, our guys to pass defend at that point, but I don't know, Ty, your thoughts on the defense. Yeah, it's, you got to keep it, I guess, in perspective. I'm not even sure if that's the correct term, but we did allow Kansas with their backup quarterback, you know, bean man jokes and in storylines and bits aside, we allowed Kansas with their backup quarterback to put up 42 points on us. Now, if you watch the game, Bobby, you sort of alluded to this a second ago, uh, maybe the game wasn't as close as the final score indicates. I think when you look at the box score and then watching the game, you will see that OU didn't, I I don't want to use, I hesitate to use the term back off, but we changed our game plan from score, score, score to clock management uh, very early on in the third, uh, which is what you do. That's, That's the smart thing to do in terms of, of player load management and a whole host of other things. So that did allow them to to clean it up a little bit, so to speak, score-wise. Uh, it was a push if you got uh, Kansas OU minus 10 right before kick. So that is that is to be mentioned. And then they did put up, uh, I think, 450 yards almost on us. So that, that is certainly something uh, to remember. I think there were a lot of really good individual performances. Uh, I think the secondary maybe. Uh, excluding their two interceptions that were shining. Uh, well, one was from a linebacker. So uh, I think the secondary maybe was was the weak point because it was the passing really that that got to us. They weren't really that effective running against us. So I, I don't I don't know how to feel about it. I feel good. A lot of good things happened, but at the end of the day, uh, a lot of bad things in in total happened as well. Yeah, and I I think it. It's tricky because it's it's like the start was pretty pretty choppy for the defense, I would say. You know, Kansas had those two drives where they just kind of marched down, did what they wanted. Two long drives, 75 and I believe 65 yards. Uh, and, you know, that's that's not great. That's Those are flat-out drives right there. But in the middle, you know, OU held Kansas to 14 points in the second and third quarter, completely blew them out of the water on the offensive end. There's that one stretch where I believe we um, we, we caused four punts in a row, uh, which is massive. So that middle part where the game was won was immaculate. And then there was the end where, you know, the gas was kind of let off and, you know, Kansas was able to make some stuff happen, get some touchdowns and, you know, make it look a little bit more respectable. Um, and it, it, it's tricky because you have to obviously put those into account. They're a part of the game. But at the same time, I, I feel like, you know, if you want to, be, if you want to just be selective and look at the good parts, the parts that make you happy, you can look at the middle because that performance was really good. So it was kind of a kind of a tale of two sides there. I think. 
Yeah, we held them to five punts, and we got two turnovers, and it completely shifted the game. For the majority, I understand that our defense was struggling on a lot of the levels, but we had control of the game pretty much from the beginning in my mind. There weren't too many times where I was thinking, oh boy, like this could go bad. OU's not in the driver's seat. Kansas could take this. I felt pretty confident during the whole game, and I think that was so pivotal for an OU fan base right now because if we would have came out and say if Kansas would have scored first, you know how OU fans are. It does not take long for them to start getting upset and the boo birds start coming out. (laughs) Us slamming down and just getting a lot of points to start, even though we didn't stop them for the first couple of drives, was so, so needed. Um, I really want to get into what needs to improve on this defense, but thank God they did what they had to do to keep us in this game in terms of momentum. And like I said in the pregame show, and Blake was thinking I was crazy, um, Jason Bean, although he had a lot of skills and throw through for touchdowns for TCU, he's a guy who overextends and is turnover prone. And those two interceptions were huge for us for momentum and um, getting this game um, in OU's favor. Yeah, yeah. And that that specific uh, interception that Colden had was just awesome. Just very, very awesome. Uh, highlight play for and sure. The, and the funny thing about that is he's so short. So the thing is, like, maybe I would like to think Jason Beam was like, oh, this guy's short. I can just throw over him. Or it might have was just, it was a bad throw to begin with. And short little CJ Colden just got his little fingertips on it <laughs> and intercepted it. So, but either way, bad on Jason Bean. Um, and good for us. <laughs> I, I mean, I things worked out so well in terms of our defense getting turnovers that we've seen in the past where we just have zero turnovers and we still let them score every drive and there's no momentum and there's nothing that they can live off of. Um, at least we can have these momentum plays that can provide some positive for, um, reinforcement for our defenders. Yeah, for sure. Ty, and I, I, I think Jameson's right on the money. The momentum uh, that the defense provided was huge. For sure. Yeah, we got 14 of our points were off of of turnovers, and that's important. And it's not strictly a defensive thing, but in in my opinion, watching the game, I think the game was really won uh, on the seventh drive of the game because we had OU touchdown, Kansas touchdown, OU touchdown, Kansas touchdown, and then we fumbled it, we turned it over. And the defense, right after that, that offensive turnover, forced a punt, the first punt of the game, and then we went, you know, offense side again. We went down and scored. And at that point, it was twenty-one to, to fourteen. And from there, uh, I think the game was pretty much was pretty much over. After that point, uh, personally watching it, I my worry shifted more towards that OU minus nine for the weekend spread uh, that we do on Wednesdays. If if nobody listens, I would recommend doing that. But I was worried more about the cover uh, <laughs> for our weekend spread punishment than OU winning because we looked competitive. We looked night and day different. We went out on the very first drives and, and, you know, we're doing things that we hadn't been doing defensively uh, specifically, you know, it wasn't, they had some big plays on us, but we were really able to, to really adjust to it. And, and that's, I think the more important thing in my opinion, because like we talked about, you know, keeping it defensive wise, I am more worried about the coaching and the schemes because players improve throughout the season. Obviously coaches do a little bit as well, but coaches are are a much more permanent thing than the players. You know, we can't put in our second string defensive coordinator and and try (laughs) to give him some reps and and see what's going to happen. Or maybe we could, there's some that argue that that's what Ted roof is. So uh, who knows, but I, I liked schematically. Yeah. I like schematically where we were uh, when it came to, when it came to the defense. So Ed Roof is the Davis level of the defensive oh, coaching staff. Quit. Quit. <laughs> it's, it's just we simply made things more simple. If yeah, yeah. I think um, we got that tweet that was sent. I forget who it was, Bobby, in our group who, who went through and watched all the three-man versus four-man fronts of every single game we've had this season. And the UTEP and Kent State game, we ran a lot of four-man front and a lot of conservative defense where we kind of just let the defense, I mean, the offense take what they could get, but just make them make a mistake where we could stop them every once in a while. Then we started running a little bit three-man front in the Texas TCU game. And with when you have zero pass rush, which we don't have, which is a huge, huge thing to talk about for this team. 
You can't have a three-man front. You get no pressure, and then the quarterback can just pick apart a zone, which is the whole Venables offense. If you want Venables to run his scheme and have that three-man front, we need to find better pass rushers because our Mason Thomas is not the only guy that can go out there as a true freshman and get a pass rush. Ethan Downs, even though he got hurt, you know he had a good game, but he's not getting pass rushing. Reggie Grimes isn't quick enough, it seems like. Uh, Jalen Redmond had a couple plays, but I'm not seeing enough. Our defensive line needs to get faster, and this is where I agree we need to get in some more of Venables type of guys to actually get that kind of speed on the outside. PJ Adebayore, yeah. yes, you. I'm talking to you. Yeah. Oh my God, he would be. I, I will be big time. You know, uh, assuming you can just hold on for dear life. And that's 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 one of the themes I really noticed is a lot of the standout performers, um, at least from the eye test on my end, were a lot of the young guys. Um, I feel like Robert Spears Jennings did a good job as well. Um, that was a name that you know came up, and I was like, oh my god! Like that that hit he had on the side uh, where he just smacked Bean. I was like, oh my god! There we go! Like I love it. So I think I think at this point it's kind of you know th this is a team full of four and five stars for sure. But the thing is, the difference makers are going to be the young guys. The difference makers are going to be the new guys we have in, the new defensive linemen, the guys who are Venables-type guys that can run his system and run it properly. So I'm I'm with you. Um, fixing that D-line will change a lot of issues. Unfortunately, uh, can't get them in now. So, um, yeah. But let's, let's kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, just kind of whip through uh, some of the position groups real quick. Defensive line, obviously four-man front performed way better ty any standouts for you on the d-line uh no not really I, I i know you guys might have some but it's you know even just looking at the the stat sheet sort of a you know where were they type situation because Bean is a guy that we we really want to pressure and obviously we weren't putting him in in situations to succeed like we kind of pointed out but that is something that I think is very much – Jameson might attack me for saying this, but that's very much a, a rebuilding year type thing or a this is the first year of a coach and he's trying to patch things together type thing. Venables is a guy that builds good D-lines, recruits well, develops them well, and that's just not what we have. We don't have you know that situation here this year. So while we can point out some things with the D-line that we'd like to see better, like you guys sort of alluded to and, and mentioned – uh, it's something that definitely will improve. If, if nothing else does, as long as Venables is a head coach, we will recruit and, and develop D-lines uh, far superior to what we had now. And what we had right now was enough to win us the game. So there is that. Yeah, I feel like the nicest thing I can say about the defensive line, particularly, is the, you know, moving to a four-man front, you just physically have another guy there. That's helpful. Uh, they stopped that, the run, though. Yeah, I, I they stopped like the run. that was a big, big deal because Kansas's run game – was very potent. I understand Devin Neal had that long run that was 40-plus yards, but for the 46. most part, yeah, De Devin Neal was, has been posting like guys up and making them look silly this year. And that run offense has been opening up you know, their play action and getting guys wide open. That's how Kansas has been scheming. And whenever you take away one aspect of their offense, that was so, so big for us. Um, if you want to say one good thing, Thank goodness, aren't here. I think like Isaiah Coe played a pretty good game whenever he got minutes there. Um, I think I saw a couple of good things from, you know, I already mentioned Jalen Redmond, but in the run defense, I saw him play pretty well. Jonah Laulu, I thought played pretty well. Um, but for the most part, you know, interior often um, defensive line, great, but the outside still needs a lot of work. Yeah, no, that, that Devin Neal, you know, the, the, the ability to contain him was big. Uh, he, you know, had 12 carries for 84 yards. But like you said, one of the one of his uh, carries was a 46 yard run. So essentially we held, held him to like, you know, I'm not good at math, but not very like 40, 30 ish yards. Like, I think that's pretty, that's pretty damn good. So um, no, I, I thought, I thought the rush defense was very solid there. Let's talk about I, some of the I weaknesses. Do, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Ty. I want to point something out, too, on, on stopping the rush, and specifically when someone has a long of 46 on you. There's a lot of rushes that are going to perforate the D-line, and if someone gets to 46, I would point more to, to the linebackers on that one personally. Because, you know, the D-line can't stop all of it. You know, if, if they perforated the D-line, which happens pretty regularly, uh, then the linebackers either stop them or they don't. And when the linebackers don't, that's when you get 
of 46. So in the D-line's defense, uh, I don't think that specific play can be held against them. That's fair. I think that's fair. I just say it overall. Like, I think they did a good job of mm-hmm. containing him, but yeah, no, no you're yeah. right. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Ty. You're absolutely. I think right. the D line was our best position group, even though the pass rush was exi- non-existent. You can argue that the defensive backs did well. Um, if you count the cheetah as a defensive back, you can count that, but there's still a lot of things that we can kind of dive into the defensive backs that we need to talk about. Obviously not having Billy Bowman. There is a huge negative. He, like we said, him and Danny Stutzman. And I'd like to throw Danny Stutzman out of the conversation as the eye test best player. Um, Billy Bowman is the best player on our defense and we haven't had him for the past couple weeks and we haven't to move people all over the defense and playing, you know, some of our depth pieces there, play some young guys there to compensate for it. I think Justin Broyles could have had an interception on that first touchdown that Jason Bean threw in over the middle. And if he would have came over a little bit faster, had his eyes and ready for that pass, um, you know, that would have been even more of a momentum shift for Oklahoma in this game. And things could have been even uglier if we would have started off with an INT for Jason Bean, take away some of their momentum. Uh, I think Key Lawrence, if he wouldn't have dropped that interception, that would have been a big deal. Uh, but overall, like you said, Bobby, I was impressed with Robert Spirit Jennings. CJ Colden played a good game. Woody Washington was being the Swiss Army knife that we had to. Um, overall, they did what they needed to do as a position group in defensive back, even though they had some lapses on the backside. Yeah, no, for sure. They, they definitely got the job done. And, you know, I, I feel like some of the lapses were, you know, for the most part, you know, Kansas got a lot of big chunk yardage where – you know, it was it was kind of conservative where, you know, even though the guy caught the ball, there was a guy right there to take it out. You know, the, uh, the busts weren't, you know, 75 yard TCU touchdowns. It was just like big chunk plays live to fight another day. Um, Kansas did have two 100 yard receivers and Lawrence Arnold and Mason Fair, Fairchild uh, on relatively low receptions, five and six. So, you know, it, 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 it that's just kind of how it is, you know. Um, this team can't really, you know, go head up on everything, especially when, you know, can't get pass rush zones kind of tricky. Uh, but, but um, yeah, no, it, I, I, I think, uh, I think ultimately it was a binge don't break uh, performance, but you know, look, they didn't break. So that's good. I'll take it. Ty. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen fewer points from Kansas, obviously, but I, I'm not trying to, to hedge or anything here, but I think realistically this was a pretty solid defensive performance for this team and for what we should sort of expect managing expectations as we go down the road. Because we do have to remember, again, this is a, a, a not cobbled together sounds a little too desperate, but you can make the argument that we are still in a bit of a desperate time when it comes to OU football standards. So we'll use cobbled together. This is a bit of a cobbled together defensive situation where we're taking guys who are just sort of left on the depth chart, who didn't leave or graduate or uh, move on to some other thing or that have transferred in here and there. And an important thing to remember about people that transfer, obviously some big stars always transfer, but and a lot of in a lot of situations, it's a guy that maybe wasn't necessarily succeeding super well where he was before. So say what you will about about that. But there's it, it was a very cobbled together situation. We can't necessarily expect uh, the performance that we were maybe led to believe by our performance against significantly worse teams earlier in the season. I think when it comes to conference play, I don't want to see anyone put up 42 on us again. Uh, for sure. But I think when it comes to conference play, sort of the performance that we saw here, because like we talked about, you know, they put up some yardage, they put up some points, but we generated some turnovers, which is really, really good. And we sort of didn't have, there wasn't like really big moments, like pulling your hair out, like, oh my goodness, what is that? And some of that is because, you know, like we said, we were scoring points, we were controlling the game, but I I liked what I saw with this defense. Yeah, I I agree. It was, it was uh like you said, it was it was more minor frustrations rather than I'm 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 broken, you know, which is uh what we have been used to the past couple weeks. But well, uh, I think that ahead. that mindset, Bobby, though, just to kind of hide on this, like you know, it's we weren't as emotional about some of these plays because I feel like we've seen so much crap as of recently. You know, That's fair. these past two games have really beaten us down as a fan base. 
And even though Jason Bean put up 42 points on us, had four touchdowns, we were finding so many positive things as fans because we need to see two interceptions. We need to see the other team punt. And we were scoring on the other end as well. So kind of our eyes were a little bit blinded. But looking deep down into the game and trying not to think, I'm just thank thanking God that we got a win here and put up enough points to beat Kansas. Like the linebacking core, once again, something that we've been worried about the whole season is not something to be happy with and is not something we should be saying, I hope this team, this defense looks just like this at the beginning of the season, I mean, at the end of, of this season. Danny Stutzman had his worst game of the season and he can't play coverage. It seems like he's getting broken and put into he he's not getting into the right place as a coverage linebacker. But whenever you want to play Danny Stutzman in less coverage, that means David Ugwebu has to play coverage, and he's even worse at coverage. David Ugwebu had a good game because they barely played him in coverage and he got to rush the quarterback and play more of like a, you know, a kind of rush linebacker, middle linebacker type of guy. And he does really good there, but we just don't have anyone in the middle that can play coverage. We, and, and our depth of linebacker ain't going to do it. You tell me Kip Lewis, true freshman, he's going to burn his red shirt probably. Like, is that our best option? That is not a good thing to say out loud. It's kind of crazy to see, like, do like Roof Jr., like, aren't we wishing that maybe he might have oh, been God. healthy? Is that weird to say out loud? We just don't have anyone behind him that I feel confident playing, you know, coverage at the linebacking position and i suggested this earlier but it just seems like they they aren't going to do it can we move to sean white who's played some decent coverage at the cheetah position over to him inside linebacker and play those roles i i just think that they like him too much at the cheetah yeah i have i mean it i wouldn't be opposed to it i i don't know at this point canick's not like getting redshirted that that's been burnt right uh so absolutely no he's he's yeah. burned it already there's it, it is burnt it. it is that that red shirt is burnt so i wouldn't be opposed to putting you know canic at the cheetah white you know kind of more in that interior zone because it is brutal watching these guys have to do coverage yeah especially Aguebu. like and i think that's kind of what they what they started to do is they're like look you're useless in the middle if you try to get any coverage. So we're just going to send a body hurling uh, towards. It's kind of you know. like what Kenneth Murray had to do during his yeah. senior year. Like I know I'm not parent comparing Kenneth Murray to David Uguaybu, but it's a similar build as in like Kenneth Murray got exposed a lot. Um, throughout his time in Oklahoma trying to play coverage. Even though he's very athletic, and I understand David Uguaybu is also very athletic, they just aren't built to cover. They're just a little bit too stocky. Um, their feet are too slow, and honestly, their football IQ processing isn't good enough to make the move and turn out to be a good cover guy as a linebacker. There's something that needs to fix, and to be honest with you, I don't know if there's going to be a clear fix this season. I just don't know who's going to take that spot. Because it's just, I think both Danny Stutzman and David Uguaybu are good football players, but it's just not really what Brent Venables is looking in that cover linebacker spot. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, that's that's the thing is when you have a unit that's trained to go fast, downhill, kill, fast speed, and then you ask them to like, okay, well, now you need to like play coverage. It's It's so hard to divorce yourself from, you know, the idea of just going downhill attacking because... It's, it's, it's a totally different game. It's a totally different mindset and it's um, unfortunate, but you know, that's just, that's just part of the awkwardness of uh, trying to grow out of what we were before. So let's go ahead and move on to game balls. If you don't mind uh, Ty, any, any final thoughts on linebackers, anything, or do you want to, you, you down for game balls? Uh, no, I think I, I, I think I'm ready to move on to, to game balls. If you want me to, to uh, yeah, kick us off. Yes. Is what you're, uh, so I got I have two game balls actually. Uh, I, one isn't necessarily a defensive one, uh, but it must be mentioned. So I'll I'll just go with my my defensive one first, and I will be upfront with this. I am doing it to be a little bit spicy. This one I'm glad I'm going first because it's going to give uh, you guys a chance to sort of respond to this defensive game ball. I'll give mine to Deshaun White. Because I like his stats, and I liked what I saw during the game, and I like to think that I have maybe some realistic expectations. I agree with what what you and Jameson just said about the linebackers, but I think Jameson answered his own question at the start when he was talking about, well, who do we have depth-wise? We don't. It's it's that triage situation, that cobbled-together situation. I really do think we're probably employing the people the best that they can be employed. So, uh, but in short, yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it a uh, Deshaun White. 
I'll save my other one. Bobby's left in protest. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I didn't mean to leave. Deshaun uh, White's fine. I like it. Jameson? Yeah, I can see why Deshaun White um, could get it for sure. I, I I had to think about it. Obviously, you talk about he was tied for the that. lead in tackles. Um, and I, I don't think it's a bad take. And he had he had an interception that was a really good read. He played the zone right and moved over. Um, and then that play where he came off the edge and kind of had that PBU that could have been like an extreme athletic interception play, like that was really good. Um, but I, I'll just shift a little bit and I'll give it to CJ Colden. Um, he might not have done everything analytically. If you look like the, you know, his PFF rating, all that kind of stuff, it might not have been the best on our team, but those type of interceptions that are big time, um, athletic plays and they get played on sports center and get played around the league. Those are big for sideline momentum and a play like that. I thought was so timely and so needed and helped the whole rest of the team that I, I think that he deserves the game ball for the defense. Yeah, I think I think that's fair, and I think momentum, you know, was a big thing here because, you know, looking at this, I, I don't really see a standout game ball type of guy. So I'm going to go go ahead and give it to our, um, Robert Spears Jennings. I love the physicality. I love the energy he brought. Um, that hit in particular, it made me think this. Yes, this is what we need. Like going forward. So um, I don't know. Game ball. Good job, kid. Good job, freshman. So we don't have much athleticism at that at that safety position, too. You know, like Key Lawrence shows some athleticism, but he still has some way to go. Robert Spears Jennings is a freak. He's an absolute freak, and it's weird to think like Sadala, like he's a true freshman. He's getting play right now in this scheme. Um, he's going to be one of those pieces. And there's so many freshman players that did well on um, Saturday that you've got to feel good for the future. If you're a little bit pessimistic of the Venable scheme, you got to feel damn good that some of our best players, like Bobby said earlier in the podcast, were true freshmen. Your kicker is lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession, they're slim. The stakes are high, and that tension is even higher. Your pulse is racing. He kicks, and you watch as the ball lands... Okay, yeah, like make every play feel that exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. So check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. And to make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any NFL game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Um, but let's move on to the offense, which was, I, I think, uh, the most impressive unit uh, on the field. Um, it was a day. It was a big day for the OU offense. 400 yards through the air, 298 through the ground. Just an absolute, you know, kind of clinic uh, overall. Uh, Dylan Gabriel back in the saddle. And uh, I got to say, that that felt good. It was good to see an offense that actually worked again, Jameson. And uh I also, you know, we only got one wildcat play. Uh, I think maybe two. We only we only had one that where Willis actually carried it, but it was good to not have to have to watch that anymore. Jeff Levy, you troll! As soon as he came out on the first <laughs> offensive drive and had Braden Willis at the quarterback, I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" All of Oklahoma's hearts just sunk. I was like, "Oh no." I thought I saw Dylan Gabriel, but is he not going to play? Did they pull like pull off them some elaborate hoax? And then they did that. I was like, he knew exactly what he was doing. He just was kind of winking at the Oklahoma fan base saying like, oh, you guys didn't like that Wildcat last week. Oh, here it is again. Just, oh, psych. Okay, good for you, Jeff Levy. You're not out of my doghouse. Um, you you did play call a decent game for Dylan Gabriel, but still he didn't look at his number um pass his number one wide receiver option on the throws, maybe two or three times that I saw. And the times that it made it look like it was, it was a designed fake for like the, the cornerbacks that were biting. The cornerbacks were biting their routes, and because they know that Dylan Gabriel, as soon as he locks onto a receiver, he's gonna throw it because that's what the scouting report is, because almost every single throw was turn your shoulders throw. And at least Jeff Lebby could realize that and do run some fake hitches and go that could get us that 
Theo Weiss touchdown. I'll give him that. But still, let him go through damn progressions. I don't care if he got covered sack at the beginning of the game because this ain't going to work for all the teams. Kansas's defense is not that good. I, especially not through the uh, you know rushing attack, but you know, like you're right, there were there were times where he'd make his first read. Clearly, you know, it wasn't there, so he just yeet it over into the sideline. So you know, when that's your second option, other than looking at any other player, it's just throw the ball into the stands. That's not great. Ty, uh, your thoughts on Gabriel's performance? I, uh, first of all, sorry for yelling last episode. It got spicy. Uh, it was just for the numbies, I promise. Uh, we're we're good. But um, your thoughts on Gabriel here? Yeah, I don't. First off, I just want to clarify. I I made a take in some previous episodes that Dylan Gabriel was potentially, potentially yet to be proven a fraud. Uh, and after, in light of this game where he put up 403 yards uh, and had a, a potentially a career game for him. Uh, I would like to say that I recant none of that. I, I recant. I stand by <laughs> everything that I said because we don't use single data points to make judgments. This is still Kansas. I understand they have this big storyline, but now they've just lost to the worst team in the Big 12. So Kansas might lose out and not even make a bowl this year. So let's keep our expectations uh, realistic. But in 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 seriousness, uh, he did. I think potentially. Uh, not touchdowns wise, but I think he did have a, a career game uh, completion ratio right at uh, 69%, which nice. is, is interesting to me. Well, nice is interesting to me because uh, there were a, like, I think like three, he was 29 for 42. There were like three passes that were just straight up garbage passes. Like he, he looked like Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback out there trying to complete a pass. Uh, but then the rest of them were just sort of throwaways, the rest of his incompletions. But they weren't necessarily throwaways that should have been throwaways, like you just pointed out. Uh, they were just sort of like, hey, go through a progression, and he's just eh, out of bounds. So I don't know. Mm. There, there certainly are some questions about uh, turnovers. I think that that third one, I don't want to say is excusable, his, his second fumble. Uh, but, you know, you're – you're uh, back in coverage, just sort of backing up to you at the worst possible moment, right? When you're, you're winding up to throw. Uh, I think that's one where most quarterbacks are going to end up fumbling it, but especially if you're laser focused on just one receiver downfield, but his other two turnovers uh, certainly are, are questionable. Uh, I would like to point out that Kansas converted to a touchdown on two of the turnovers. So 14 other points were, uh, not courtesy of Dylan Gabriel. It wasn't a pick six, but that is to be that is to be noted. And I do want to say there was one Sooner fan who was happy when he saw the Wildcat because I said, yes, 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 Jeff Levy. I agree with what you're saying because I also do not trust Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> I'm glad that we are running the Wildcat to score touchdowns, which we did. I do want to point out. And zero turnovers on Wildcat plays, I will point out as well. I like the Wildcat play where Dylan Gabriel is a running back. That was That was a funny one. But um, no, like that was that's I, th I think that's fair because, you know, the turnovers, his first, I believe, first three turnovers in the season. He didn't have any against CCU, did he? That was uh, I think this was his I think he had a fumble. He had a fumble. It was his first interception. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But no, yeah, I got to say, Jameson, we really have to have a serious conversation about this, actually. Um, and I want you to as an expert on this topic, I want you to let us know, does he have does he have small hands? Should we be concerned about Dylan Gabriel's baby boy hands? Does he have the baby boy hands or is his hands just slippery? I that's that's a good question. I will need to get a zoom in on his hands and see if he would be a good lawyer. But the thing is like I understand. I think Ty's point of Dylan Gabriel being a uh you know a fraud in all this and he's sticking by it. Allegedly. I understand. I understand some people are saying this is a career game for Dylan Gabriel and it completely stopped all of like the doubters. Here, here's what it is. I think that this game was more so the scheme that was called in the Kansas's defense. I think Dylan Gabriel made his throws to the guy he was supposed to, but how many plays did he actually make where it was him making the play? He just threw it where he was supposed to. And that, saying, uh, that, that might that, that might be... Yeah, well, he Levy did what he had to do to, to go against Kansas's defense. But whenever we play better defenses like Texas and 
um, TCU, they're going to expose that style where it's, you can only throw it to your first option. Kansas, you can do that. UTEP, you can do that. Kent State, you can do that. That's why we have good offenses versus them. But it just doesn't seem to you know, work versus the big teams. He just threw to the first guy. There wasn't a lot of plays where I go, wow, look at that throw that Dylan Gabriel made. I don't think this is a career game for him. I understand there's numbers, and people love to talk about the box score and whatnot. But he hasn't had a wow moment for me recently. And I'm, I'm looking more for that. And I just don't, maybe I have to change my style of thinking. I really, that might be what it is because Levy's offense is just something I'm not used to. And maybe we just have to put all of our hope into him and just say, Levy's going to call his best game possible for what we have. And we're just going to hope that he does well. And it's just hard for me to do that. Yeah. And I, I think that's the point to me is I think it, you know, if you really want to get into semantic specifics, I think it was a great day for Jeff Levy. I think it was a great day for the OU offense. I'm with you. I, I think Gabriel, while he did put up a lot of numbers, I, I saw more as just like a cog in the system rather than like the, you know, the main person pulling all the, all the, all the levers overall, the offense looked immaculate, but you know, ultimately I think a lot of it was uh, just, you know, good scheme, good, good performance overall as a team. Uh, I thought, you know, that is, it, he actually trusted. The thing is Jeff Levy actually trusted Dylan Gabriel to make throws like this. And the thing is what, what I would y'all be curious you see, this game plan was very, very different than the Texas game. See if Jeff Lebby would have called this exact scheme where we want to see Davis Bevel making the same exact throws that Dylan Gabriel was, and maybe we would have scored some points. I, I think that we would have. I think this is a trust thing. And um, does Jeff Lebby trust Dylan Gabriel enough? I think he has got a moderate amount of trust for him, but at the beginning of the season, I think he lost a lot because he was not making um, decisive decisions, got a lot of coverage sacks. So this is maybe the best we're going to get. Um, I keep asking Jeff Levy to let Dylan Gabriel go through reads, but if he's already done it at the beginning of the season and it failed, maybe this is just the best we got. I mean, I think there's a point there. I think there is a point there that maybe just doesn't trust him to be that type of guy. But um, I will say, yeah, uh, uh, Eric in the comments um, brought up a good point. Not a lot of overthrows, which is nice. A nice change of pace. So um, let's move on. I think I think we've covered Dylan pretty good there. Mm, uh, no, we we have one. Ahead, we have one ahead, really. Ty. We have one. No, we have one really important point that, that we do need to address. And this is something that I do I do wholeheartedly and sincere and sincerely want to recant. What we saw here today, it was Kansas, and I we've seen that Texas is you know, maybe, maybe a little more fraud than, than we thought, but, uh, last week on the pod, and I, I, I don't want to fully recant this, but I want to sort of, I, I do think it needs to be sort of uh, recant is probably the best word. Uh, Bobby, this is something you pointed out and we're very passionate about. We saw here today that Dylan Gabriel was, he well not was, he is crucial to this offense. I made the take. I said, Dylan Gabriel coming back one little cog in that machine is not going to fix our our problems and i think we saw that he had a, a tremendous game would we have won against kansas with bevel uh with the game plan that we have we will never know maybe not but you know you can make the argument would kansas have won against this ou team had they had their starting quarterback but i think we saw that dylan gabriel is far more important to this team and to this offense uh than i personally gave him credit for and and some other people and that's that's something I'm surprised you didn't bring it up, <laughs> but we, uh, I, I think we would be remiss if we did not mention uh, and give him that credit because I, I don't want it to sound, I, I feel like more so than other OU media, we've taken a, not a more negative, but a, a more cautious and reserved tone to this Dylan Gabriel comeback. But I do want to to give him credit, uh, especially from, from my end of the takes uh, for how important he is uh, to this defense or, or to this very, offense. Very important. Yeah. Very, yeah, very important. I, I think sure. that everyone in the OU media can come together on that. Um, say, like, we aren't running a competent offense, and Jeff Levy won't give us the plays to work with unless Dylan Gabriel is out there because we just he just doesn't believe that we have the tools to do it. Um, so we need him, and I, I think a lot of people agree with that. Um, Bobby, I think you want to talk about the running backs because, obviously, let's talk about something positive that everyone can come together on. Those running backs on Saturday, awesome. Eric Gray looked like the best player on our offense. No doubt. Oh my God. The man oh looks so, so good. And I talked about it multiple times. It's just eye testing of like you look and like say, wow, that's the best player on the field right now. Eric Gray had about 
10 of those plays. He His cuts are just great. And having a guy like that with the offensive line playing the way that they are right now, we wouldn't think that we were saying that at the beginning of the season. Um, our run offense, if we get some pass game going, our run offense can go crazy for the rest of the season. Oh, my God. Eric Gray was unreal. I mean, Javante Bards as well. It's all a game. But Gray, oh, my God. He was unstoppable. And to me, the sequence that really highlights it more than anything was that long touchdown that got called back on a holding. Next play, immediate next next run. Uh, Eric Gray does it again. It was he just a was laughing moment. <laughs> unstoppable. It was it was it was it was a clinic. Uh, I, I can't. What do, I'm trying to think of the last time we've seen a player really go off like that. But then again, I think about how good good we've had it in the running back department. So it would probably be like Kennedy Brooks, <laughs> probably against Texas. But uh, absolute, just just a. Uh, it's hard to even talk about just a. a his vision, his speed, the way he hits the hole. It's, it's, uh, it was incredible. It was an incredible performance from Eric Gray. Um, Ty, your thoughts on Gray? Yeah. I uh, concur to, for brevity's sake, I concur with everything that you just said about Gray. An important note on the run game that I want to bring up if you go look at the, the stats of the drives, especially the scoring plays. Uh, but if you go back and, and really rewatch the full game or just rewatch, you know, the little clipped up bits where it's just OU offensive plays, the run game, and I'm not trying to disparage what we did from the air. I think we've we've really touched on that and we're we're about to get to receivers, presumably. But the run game was so crucial to this offense when I don't want to say the game was in doubt, but when the game was not yet won or not yet put away. Obviously, you can never relax. Uh, in this league, especially when when your defense is as porous as ours is. But, uh, you know, the run game, you know, you get some stat padding at, at the end when you try to run a lot for, for clock management's sake. But the run game and its explosiveness and decisiveness early on uh, was was very, very, very crucial. And it's really about being a, you know, a, a three-dimensional offensive presentation to the other side if they can well two-dimensional i guess something like that we we cannot be sort of canalized into into one thing which is i think what we saw when we had bevel as a quarterback is is when all we really have to rely on is the run then the run suffers the passive everything suffers but when we can present you know a, a really solid threat but i really think early on when the game was yet to be won the run game was the not the unsung heroes because they're getting their credit, but the run game was, I think, the decisive element of this offense. Uh, no, for sure, it, it was. It was the bread and butter. It got things done, you know, and really just it was impossible to to cover them because Gray was that good. Um, and I mean, it's um, it was impeccable because I think Kansas has a pretty good rushing defense as well. Like I feel like they performed pretty well this season. So to do that against a really solid unit, it's pretty damn good. Our offensive uh, line manhandled is really what it is. It's It feels so good to have that to fall back on because we said it at the beginning of the season, if you don't have a good offensive line, a lot of the things are going to break down around it. And OU's been very spoiled in their history, you know, in the recent history of having really good offensive lines. And you'll realize like some of our most potent offenses because we have such good offensive linemen. You know, first spot is like, I think Sam Bradford was a hell of a player, really, really accurate, but his offensive line was one of the best we've ever seen. And that's the reason he put up Heisman numbers because he had all the time to do whatever he wanted. And he could just pick, you know, just absolutely pick on the defensive backs. If we can give Dylan Gabriel enough time to make the play that he, that it's called for him, you know, we're going to, we should be able to do what we want. So if the, Offensive line continues to play like this. I feel good about our offense for the rest of the season that we're not going to have any stinkers, zero point stinkers or whatever the TCU second half was. Yeah. Oh, if, if Gabriel's in, I think we're, we're pretty good. If not, I, I think they clearly can't operate like this mm -hmm. with Bevel, with booty, with anybody. So um, let's hope his uh, brain stays healthy, but wide uh, receivers <laughs> and tight ends too, real quick. I, oh, I yeah. think uh, the white, the white ends had a great day. Yeah. Let's talk about great, great game. I think Braden Willis played one of his best games, you know, as a sooner um, over a hundred yards. That was great. Marvin Mims had nine catches him. You know, do you see how frustrated he was during that, for that Texas game? Um, he looked like very mad. Like I wish I would have transferred to TCU mad getting him nine catches made me feel so much better about his happiness. 
Oh yeah, they they needed they needed to feed Mims and you know give him a good game and be like, hey, sorry about that. Uh, look, no, no, it's just not fine. real. I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. It was just a fluke. <laughs> Levy's like, hey man, I'm, I'm I'm gonna keep it real. I you know we we, we went, went out in Dallas. You know how these games go, man. Uh, um, but yeah, no, it's um, Mims absolutely great performance. Nine receptions, 106 yards. It was it was vintage Marvin Mims. It was absolutely impeccable and with Braden Willis another great game you know obviously last last week he had to play many had to wear many different hats do many different things but um there, there's an argument that he might be one of the best players on the team if not the best player uh at, at times he he does so much great with blocking with receiving he's just he's he's a very dynamic very interesting very good player uh, and to put up the numbers he did, that was that was awesome to see. Um, and then, you know, Weiss had his, had his moment. Drake Stoops had his moment. Uh, he also had a Ty, moment. I will talk about Drake, Drake Stoops in his game because I thought that was pretty impressive too. Well, well Drake Stoops' play of the game was also uh, not made by Drake Stoops. It was Gavin Freeman when everybody, the, whole the crowd stadium, started chanting Stoops so like, because that. a white kid <laughs> caught it. That was that was it's, hilarious. He shouldn't have picked eighty-two. Like it's a two at the end. You see a two and a tiny little white kid, and people think it's Drake Stoops. He should have picked something different. I, yeah. Anyways, I, sorry, I, I kind of ran down a whole bunch of information there, Ty. But you know, what's your uh, what? What are your thoughts on the receivers? I would love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, Gavin Freeman, Little Wes Welker, straight from uh, y'all's alma mater at uh, up at heritage hall. So that's, that's cool. Is I think he's the next Drake stoops. Cause Drake is leaving the team. Unfortunately this year, he must leave. Uh, when it comes to the receivers, I think, and this ties into the quarterback. Here's how I view Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel is your local Amazon prime driver. Sometimes the quarterback is the talent of the team, but <laughs> what, what really what's occurring with, with Dylan Gabriel is he's, he's an Amazon prime driver. Okay. Oh. And what what Brent Venables is, he's Jeff Bezos, okay? And I am I'm an I'm an artist with the food. This is my Cholula sweet habanero hot sauce. No free ads, but no free ads, it's a but prop it's on hand, okay? If my Amazon Prime driver does not get me my Cholula sweet habanero hot sauce, I cannot cook with it. So <laughs> it does not matter what my cooking skills are as a chef, and it does not matter what Jeff Bezos, his business running skills are as a CEO slash Brent Venables head coach in this situation. If my prime driver or my delivery driver cannot get my Cholula from Jeff Bezos, because that's where you get this, it's not in stores, uh, <laughs> to me, I can't cook with it. And that's that's the thing. We've talked about all throughout the year, even when we were winning big at the start and after the Nebraska game, uh, someone, I'm not going to mention names, but uh, hypothetically, let's say someone named Hobby Boward after a Nebraska win, dropped the playoff word in regards to this OU team. Uh, even back then, we were talking about how on the offense, the receivers were our talents. Eric Gray is great, but the, the depth of the receivers that we have is tremendous. And we saw this. Braden Willis, career game. Marvin Mims, career high targets. Well, career high receptions. He's been targeted a little bit more sometimes, I think, by... Uh, Dylan Gabriel, Theo Weese, potentially even a, a career game. I'm not necessarily sure on uh, on targets, yards, and touchdowns. Drake Stoops, doing what Drake Stoops always does. Uh, Jaleel Farouk even had a good game. And then uh, Gavin Freeman, like we've mentioned. But I, I view our quarterback situation as we don't need a talent. We don't need a Heisman ceremony guy, Heisman winning guy, a guy who can go out there, uh, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, even Jalen Hurts. Or, you know, Caleb Williams, even last year, snap him the ball. If things go awry, they're going to make something happen. The the schooner or the sooner magic is, is going to come and they're going to make it happen. We don't need that. Is Am I saying he's a system quarterback? I don't know. But it, what we saw here today was an offensive situation where we had a middleman who could transfer the ball from the center, who has to legally has to start with it. We have our legal department working on that. Uh, some sort of situation where we can start the play uh, and the ball is just in Mims's hands. Uh, we are working that, but uh, for now we need a middleman to get the ball from the center to the receivers. And, and what we saw here was that, and I think we've seen the results. It, you can say all you want about Kansas's defense. I think our receivers um, would, we've had this same game against anyone that's been on our schedule. I don't know, but I think our receivers, Marvin Mims can have a hundred yard plus game against anyone on our schedule 
Braden Willis, I think, could have a 100-plus yard game against anyone on our schedule. Theo Weiss could be scoring on anyone on our schedule. Drake Stoops, he always does it. You know Drake Stoops. But uh, we saw the, the depth of the talent. We were finally able to, to showcase it here in this game, and that was that was so, so important. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm, I, I want I want to hit on Theo Weiss before we move on, Bobby, because I know we're probably getting close to the end of this podcast. I think Theo Weiss coming out, having a big game, getting, you know, a touchdown and making big plays is big. Because to be honest with you, whenever he DNP'd versus Texas, I go, oh boy, oh brother. Like this could be a guy we just lose. And I understand we make fun of like that 2019 class of wide receivers and they're all just, you know, just wastes of talent and whatnot. But like having Theo Weiss on this team is a big deal for us. He's a possession wide receiver and we don't have too many of those guys with his kind of size and frame. Um, so I think he's an extreme piece for us on the outside. Um, and whatever was the problem where he was a DNP and maybe had bad practices during the week, it got hashed out and he played and he played well during this game. So as Sooners fans, cause I know that I'm sure, and we've heard it from like other sources and like message boards and insiders that a, a lot of these older guys, um, on the Oklahoma football team are getting tired of this whole Brent Venables talking his head off and, just goes on and on and on. They're just mentally and physically tired. Brent, um, Brent Venables is not running the same kind of scheme that Lincoln Riley did in practice. And these guys weren't ready for it. They've been conditioned to do this, you know, lackadaisical type of football um, practicing throughout the week that they can't handle it because their body's been so used to the Grinch, um, the Benny Wiley style of lackadaisical coaching. And it makes me feel good that, Theo Weiss isn't the guy who's going to quit in the middle of the season because he got DNP first Texas. No, it's good. I mean, the and I think that's the thing is the hard, tough, the hard, tough things that Brent brings in the, you know, kind of more, um, I don't know, the culture-y, like we're going to do things by the book. Those are hard things to do when you're losing. It's hard to wear a suit. It's hard to dot your I's, cross your T's. You know, seeing the chant at the end uh, when you're losing, getting embarrassed, it, it, that, those are hard things to do, but there's still, you still got to do it. You still got to go through it. You can't take shortcuts. You can't make it easier. It has to be hard. You have to do those difficult things to get better. And uh, I think that was where a lot of frustration kind of had been bubbling because, you know, it's easy to do it when, you know, it's all hype videos and, you know, thinking about the future. But, you know, when you're, You've lost three games for the first time since 1998. Everyone thinks you stink and you know, you're getting embarrassed. Pardon me, embarrassed like that. Then it's, um, you know, um, it's hard to do that. And I think there's pushback. But, you know, if you can gut it out, grit it out and, uh, you know, learn from it. There you go. I think that's a good thing. So I think we should, uh, you know, give him credit. Give uh, Weiss credit for, you know, sticking with it, having a good game. And hopefully he'll be better for it. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, the famous JF, JFK, why are we going to the moon? Why does Texas play Rice? We do these things because they are hard. I love that Rice actually used that quote in a uniform, uh, which is funny because it, <laughs> it's actually, specifically, yeah. it specifically calls Rice bad. Yeah, it's, oh. it, it's, it's why does Rice play Texas? I think I said why does Texas play Rice. But... It, either so way, I, I was yeah. like, hmm. Why does sex pay rice? I can tell you that. I can tell you the answer. To that. Why did why did the shrimp fry this rice? That's what it's a JFK quote. Incredible, incredible. Let's do a quick game ball. I think it's. Uh, I'm just gonna. Easy. It's Eric Gray, right? Yes, no Eric doubt. Gray. Yeah, you already That's heard why. Yep, we 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 sung his praises earlier. So game ball to Gray there for the offense, and we'd be remiss to not mention it before we left the pod. Uh, OU rocked the unity uniforms for the first time. Um, they were debuted after we had already recorded the podcast uh, to start the week. So we didn't really get our takes on it, but you know what? Let's go ahead and fire them, fire them out now. Jameson, your thoughts on the unity, uh, the unity uniforms. Never lost a game in those. And, um, and oh my God, I'm just going to start over. Goodness gracious. Never lost a freaking game in those uniforms. So this alternative uniform thing, if you want to talk bad about bring the wood, so be it. But the unity ones, nothing like we are one and oh, we put up 52 points in those, so they're good luck. They're, they broke a losing streak for us. And two, no, those numbers, I when sitting high up, it's hard to see who it is. Impossible. And I'm pretty sure that those defensive you know, guys on the other team uh, up in the booth are like, who the heck 
are these guys coming in? I can't tell who's who. And the same thing with the offensive guys. They're probably struggling to figure out what the personnel is because of our red lettering. So great. That's another advantage for us. Keep them rolling in, until they complain and make us change it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, I didn't like being able to read it. But then again, if, you're right. If it does provide a competitive advantage, then maybe pretty cool. I thought they looked good up close, but ultimately it was hard to read and whatever. I guess I'm old. But um, ultimately, kind of cool. Would look really nice under the lights. Ty, your thoughts on the Unity uniforms? Yeah, I know I'm you've been anti. Bit of, bit of a, I am anti alternates, right? It, it, championship winning teams don't need alternates. We're losing three games a season already. We're not even halfway through. So yeah, we're an alternate level team now for sure. So I can't, I can't disparage that. But uh, I liked him. I liked him. I'm a bit of a trained professional when it comes to design. Uh, you could say the University of Oklahoma says so. Uh, whether that's an, an accredited, reliable institution, I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> it, it maybe it could use some little more accent pieces. There's there was a lot of design on the shoulders that was just straight up not visible uh, at all. There was a, like a state outline and, and some other stuff. Uh, did they scream University of Oklahoma? No, but we can sort of define that identity. Uh, and I really think, uh, in conclusion, I really like them. They are not 11 a.m. uniforms at uh -uh. all. They would have looked so cool under the lights. I think the the number thing would have been completely uh, negated under the lights because the numbers on the jersey were a, a reflective, not not metal sparkle, but a, sort of that like effect. Uh, yeah, like metal metal sparkle, like you would get in like auto paint. Uh, yeah, like a shiny thing. So they they would have looked awesome under the lights. Uh, I, I hate that we debuted them for an 11 a.m. game. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think they are important. Actually, I'm going to roll this into my closing thoughts as we as we sort of close up here. I, I had three sort of, I'll call them honorary game balls I want to give. One of them was to the uniforms, and another one was to uh, to CJ Colden, our defensive back who got that, that tip uh, interception that we talked about. And he and the uniforms are together because it's a narrative thing, right? You know, we immediately went in and, and turned around that narrative. We created a, you know, we're in a, a short attention span economy right now. We created a really, really cool highlight clip that I expect to see on the game day intro uh, next week. I'm, I'm calling that now. Super, super cool interception uh, in super, super cool, good-looking alternate uniforms. So I, we've talked about all season. We need to control this narrative, especially in losing three games, to get that buy-in uh, from recruits and, and from everyone else going forward. And I think we did that, so that that deserves credit. Uh, and then my, my last game ball, my final closing thought – uh, it was to a Kansas fan I spoke to this weekend who I think speaks for all Kansas fans. And and uh, I asked him, you know, I, we were talking this this Kansas fan before the game, and I said, hey, how many uh, how many girlfriends have you had in your day? And uh, what he did was he started counting, and, and to my shock, he fell asleep right there in front of me. And it uh, turns out he was counting sheep. So that's that's all you need to know about Kansas fans. Oh, my God. I was like, where <laughs> oh is God. this going? I have no, no idea. Think, uh, if you really oh think about, if you really think about it, it's one of the riskier ones we've done. But That's funny. Yeah. That's good. Jameson, uh, final thoughts. And also, uh, any any like tiny recruiting corner edge on the uniforms? I, I think they surely liked them. I don't think the uniforms are going to say, oh, those three losses you all have were – pretty bad but um you know what thank god y'all brought out anthracite uniforms and now i'm feeling good uh, i guess cruton just talking colton vasic's been a big topic you know after the texas game everyone likes to go to his like section he had all kinds of texas stuff and it was really concerning he obviously got caught and he realized that and he started to like a bunch of oklahoma stuff but just because he was liking it to begin with means that this ain't over it's going to be a battle to the end so Hopefully we can shore things up and um, get things going with him. And it, it feels, you know, really good to have the guys like Jaquez Petaway come out and say that he's locked in with OU. Uh, that feels really damn good because he's the type of guy that OU hasn't recruited in a really long time at the wide receiver position. So things could have been so much worse, and thank God things are a little bit okay. You're always going to get decommits in a cycle no matter how good you're playing during the season um, with that, how many guys we got coming. So hopefully we keep on moving forward and um, don't get too much damage. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want uh, any other final thoughts? Are we calling it good? No, I'm, I'm excited for this bye week. It couldn't have came at a better time for us. I understand some people would be like, oh, bye week um, to recalibrate after some losses. I think coming back and bouncing back with a win versus a ranked team, even though Kansas, you know, obviously showed some weaknesses without Jalen Daniels, 
we have momentum and some positive things to talk about that we can move forward and keep our heads high going into Iowa State in the following weekend. Yeah, getting that momentum right, you know, right into a pretty tough road game at Ames. You know, last time OE played there, they lost. Uh, you know, that's 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 big time. You know, uh, and we'll we'll preview that not this week, uh, probably next week, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see how it goes, but um, that's going to be an interesting game for sure. So, all right. Thank you all for watching or listening, whether you have been listening to this episode on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube via our live stream. We appreciate it. Um, if you want to check the other one out, you know where to find it. So um, and make sure to give us some love. We'd love some five-star reviews. We'd love a subscription. You know, make sure you like this video if you uh, liked it. You know, all of that helps us with the algorithm, helps us grow and uh, helps out helps helps us put out this great content that well, at least we think it's great uh, content that we do every week. We put a lot of work and a lot of love into this. So um, appreciate y'all as always. But for me, Jameson and Ty, this has been the Schooner Pod. We will see you later in the week when we break down this week's games on the weekend spread. Should be a fun one. Looking forward to talking those with our pal Bone Blake. But for now, have a good rest of your week and Boomer Sooner. Enjoy your bye week.